0: Listener Production. Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis.
1: Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party.
0: (sighs) That was really, um, like tight and professional sounding.
1: Oh, well, that surprises me considering I'm already three beers in and I've had (laughs) a really big few weeks down here at the Comedy Festival (sighs) in Melbourne. And we haven't recorded like this for more than a fortnight.
0: No, we haven't. And I will say I'm one glass of bird in hand in, which I'm not ashamed to say is a new bottle that I bought because I went through the free bottles they sent me <laughs> pretty bloody quickly.
1: <laughs> shocking. Oh
0: dear, shocking. Um yeah, no, this is the first time we've recorded like in different places on the on the microphones in in, you know, over zoom in a while Mm. because we've done the live shows
1: which was so much fun thank you once again to everyone Mm. who came along to those they were an absolute hoot we can't wait to do more
0: yes and we do need to say that okay we know that like we told you guys oh yeah tickets are going on sale soon for other cities here's the thing though we didn't realize that we're kind of a big
1: deal <laughs> and so, our popularity when, took us by it surprise. Actually,
0: it actually really did take us by surprise. We, I mean, it's the same thing as that when we didn't expect we were going to win the Australian Podcast Award for Best Entertainment Podcast of the Year. So we dressed up as Moira and acted like complete <laughs> dickheads and then we won. And so the same as this, we kind of were just like, oh, we'll do some shows. We'll see how it goes. They sold out like hot cakes. Mm. It's been nutso. So the only reason tickets for other cities haven't gone on sale yet is because we've actually had to step back and look at booking much bigger venues to fit you all in. Yes. So that's the only reason there's a little bit of a holdup, but the touring company is organizing it like crazy right now. And so we will be coming everywhere to a city near you, but we just like needed to find some more space to fit you all in because you all want to come. Yeah.
1: So it's good news for everyone because the more the merrier, of course, and we promise we will be very, very, very loud about it when we do Mm. release Mm -hmm. the tickets so you will Mm -hmm. not miss it, especially if you follow our social channels. We'll be Mm -hmm. loudly Mm -hmm. and proudly telling you where and when.
0: And meanwhile, this isn't an ego hit to me at all. My show, Kid Chameleon, still has plenty of tickets on sale. So (laughs) if you want to come to that, Please do. Tickets have just gone on sale for Perth, which is coming up next weekend, once you're listening to this, and Sydney, which is coming up at the start of May. So please come to my solo show, Kid Chameleon, where I do funny things. And, um, yeah.
1: It is a brilliant show. I took a bunch of my friends um, down here in Melbourne to see it. They gave it a five-star review. Do yourself a favour, everyone, go and see it. It is Okay,
0: well, shall we get to
1: some... (gasps)
0: Oh, you were holding your hand up. I thought you wanted me to. Oh stop, no, wait. I'm just conducting <laughs> you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you put your hand up to conduct. I was like, excuse moi. What's the hold up? Okay, ready. <gasps> breaking news! A breaking news! I got the scoop. I see extra, extra. Read all about it. A breaking news. Do It's coming down the wire. It's really not the same when I do it by myself now. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) I feel far less powerful and important doing it sitting here in my bed because this is the one place in my house where I think, like, the sound will be okay. But, um, yeah, it's not quite the same as doing it at the live shows. Mm. Um, I hope people liked the live recordings.
1: Yeah, let us know. Tell us what you think.
0: Yeah, because I know there are some people who don't like listening to the live show versions of their favorite podcasts. Mm. But we sort of really tried to make sure that the live versions we recorded were like – going to be as good an experience to listen to for the people who weren't in the room. Mm-hmm. So there's extra special things we do for people who come to the show that we don't put in the recording that we end up playing for you guys because that's for people who come to the show, but mm-hmm. we also wanted to make sure, oh, we don't want to do a bunch of stuff on stage that people are listening are like, I can't see this. This isn't interesting to me. I, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we've, we've tried to get the balance right. I think we have. Yeah.
1: But let, let us know. We will
0: record each live show in each city. So we'll probably just release one, you know, live show from each city. So we've done an Adelaide one and a Melbourne one and we'll do one from each city. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think they sounded quite good. My sisters loved them. Great. Rhiannon messaged you to say how much she loved the um, Adelaide live show mm-hmm. episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were certainly fun stories to tell, and it was certainly fun yeah. being there in the room. So, yeah, let us know if you've got some ideas for how we can make the next few cities even better. Oh, my
0: gosh. And how good was the show we did in Melbourne, which uh, we didn't end up putting uh, publishing last week because it was the show where we had um, the Auslan interpreters with us, mm. and it was honestly the funnest, most hilarious, great experience. Having um, the Auslan interpreters there just brought so much Extra funny, hilarious mm. stuff to the show, and we were both like, "Oh my god, that was so funny! We need to play that. Like, we need to publish that episode for everyone mm. to listen to." But then we were like, "Oh, but it, it's one of those things where you kind of just had to be in the room." Yeah. yeah. So we ended up publishing a different night. But um, oh my gosh, it was so fun having them there. Yeah,
1: Glenda and Amber, our two interpreters, yeah. are natural born performers. I did yeah. not realize how much they were truly going to sell the stories in their mm-hmm. own way. Um, but yeah, they. Added such an amazing layer of entertainment that did not translate into an audio-only experience. For <laughs> but you guys. it was really great. Yeah,
0: it so was really great.
1: I'm sure it we'll have cool. um, Auslan interpreters at future shows as well.
0: Definitely, because it made it funner. Gosh, they do most of the heavy lifting. <laughs> like we got more laughs in that show. Well, we didn't. They did. Mm. <laughs> like it was. It was so fun. Anyway, okay. Breaking news. <gasps> <sighs> <sighs> Melissa Caddick last week. <gasps> and this is kind of funny, but it's also not, but it kind of also is. Mm-hmm. There was a memorial service in which her foot was cremated. <laughs>
1: I shouldn't laugh at that.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, no. Jacob, no. be
0: appropriate. Be appropriate.
1: Don't oh, laugh. Okay.
0: But, yes, there was a memorial service which a few close you know friends and family went to. The only piece of her available was mm. her foot. There's still no, so that was cremated. There's still no um, death certificate has been issued though, because like it's still a possibility that she's like, you know, a total genius mm-hmm. and is alive. But I guess to get some closure or whatever, um, there was a memorial service for the foot.
1: Right. So, okay, the family has come to terms with the fact that it is likely that she has died.
0: I suppose so,
1: yes. But they are not yet willing to legally declare her dead. Well,
0: it's not the family who decides that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well. um, But
0: then a few days later. A lot of people messaged us about a us about this. Three million dollars in cash was found in some bags in a car that was pulled over for a routine traffic stop. And a lot of people messaged us and messaged, Why can't I say messaged us? Mess, me, messaged us. A lot of people messaged us and said, "Melissa, Melissa Caddy." So everybody still wishes she was on the run. Uh huh. I think any time, any large amount of money is found anywhere until sh- we know what happened to her, people are going to speculate that it's her.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Keep us posted. Thank you for the regular updates. Um, you
0: are so welcome.
1: Part of me thinks after telling that story about Larry Bader and Fritz Johnson in mm-hmm. our live shows, there's a big part of me that thinks that she could still be out there somewhere.
0: I think she is. I think she did the foot thing. I think she's a. Genius. Mm-hmm. I think she's an evil genius <laughs> on a beach somewhere having some people, you know, up in Queensland with lots of cash in the car. were are probably on their way to post that to her. It's all connected, my friend. Mm-hmm. And Melissa Caddick sits at the very top <laughs> on a beach in a country with no extradition laws to Australia. Okay. A lot of people asked, including your mother, including the widow Stanley, mm-hmm. about the guy in the story I did about Cocaine Bear, Mm. the one who jumped out of the plane but didn't die, Mm -hmm. everyone was like, but what happened to him? Mm -hmm. And I didn't really bring it up because I don't know. I've looked everywhere. I couldn't really find it to include in the thing, but I mean, he survived his jump, Mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. So, he had no experience. He um, basically had no idea that Andrew Thornton was taking you on a drug deal. He said later that he just went along as a friend. Andrew told him they were going to Columbia to like do some business deals. So he was like, oh, okay. He had no idea it was going to be drugs. On the plane, he freaked out, never skydived before. Andrew puts a parachute on him, pushes him out of the plane. He said that he landed really hard about three miles from town, and so he did what he was told. He walked into town, he went to a pay phone, he called Andrew's girlfriend and then he went and met her at the previously agreed upon meeting place at a motel mm-hmm. and then Andrew never showed. But, I mean, he's done interviews with newspapers because that's where I got that information from. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure if, like, they believed him and said, okay, you didn't know what was happening. I'm not sure if he went to prison. I can't find it. So if you guys want to, you know, look into it, but, I mean... All we know that he had, is that he had zero skydiving experience and he made it, mm. but Andrew didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> kinda makes you think skydiving's just a crapshoot, isn't it?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. total roll of the dice, flip of the coin. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It and it's is. Not it's Russian roulette. It's not yeah, for me. Not for me. No. No
0: thanks. Not for me either. Um, so yeah, that's all I know about him. Um, I do not oh.
1: believe that he was unaware of what they were doing in Colombia. You're going to Colombia for business. That means one thing and one thing only, my friend.
0: And the reason he was friends with Andrew is that Andrew had, um, this is so random, and this is the kind of thing when we're giving you just the gist, we can't get into this much detail because we don't have time. But he was Andrew's karate instructor. Because Andrew was learning karate. And then during the karate lessons, Andrew was like, you know what? You'd be a great bodyguard. So he'd hired him to like do bodyguard work for him. And Andrew was a drug smuggler. So as if he hadn't seen and bodyguarded during dodgy Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. So he knew anyway, whatever. This was in the 80s. He's probably annoyed people bring it up. But um, if he's, I don't know, he's probably, like, he's probably like the nicest little old man now mm. who, you know, bakes treats for all the kids in the neighbourhood and you would never suspect that one day he jumped out of a plane in the middle of a Colombian drug smuggling deal.
1: <laughs> After kicking all that cocaine out to be consumed I know. by a bear.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. Okay, next. Oh, my God, I'm so excited about this. The reality show coming to Netflix Byron Bays (laughs) B-A-E-S a
1: A friend told me about this when we were driving the other day to a um, the Melbourne equivalent of that I would say potentially Sorrento yeah Um, okay tell us what do we need to I know? I mean, that's
0: all we need to know. It's it's a reality show that Netflix has commissioned and it's going to follow famous influencers who live in Byron Bay. And residents of Byron Bay are furious. They've started a petition to have it, the show not go ahead. They're encouraging locals to not allow people to film in their venues, establishments, restaurants, whatever. I'm so excited to watch it. I think it sounds the best. And for all the Byron Bay locals who are like, this is going to ruin Byron, it's like Byron's already ruined. It's been ruined forever.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> By- yeah. As soon
0: as the celebrities moved there, Byron went to shit. No offense.
1: Oh, my aunt was complaining about how commercial and touristy Byron was becoming back in the 90s. She lived mm. up there and she couldn't handle the amount of blow-ins that were coming in. So when you say locals, if it's anyone who's been there for less than 30 years, I'm sorry, no, you yeah. are a blow-in. <laughs> and is this format of the show going to be like uh, Real Housewives style or is it a dating show? Uh, like no, Bachelor? it's going to be
0: like Real Housewives kind of like fall, fo- or like more like... um. You know, the shows that follow, like, what was it called? Laguna Beach and okay. mm-hmm. those kinds of ones that mm-hmm. just follow all the ones around Lisa Vanderpump at her restaurant that follow all the young people mm-hmm. and those kinds of shows, just following inf- like housewives, but with influencers.
1: Okay. Well, I hope they're not giving anti vaxxers a platform of any kind. That's my one wish. Mm, that yeah. they don't give anyone any airtime if they're going to get on there. Um, anti-vax high horses
0: maybe by the end of the first episode they'll be like and this is where the show ends because the entire cast died of polio (laughs) because everyone in Byron Bay refuses to get vaccinated
1: (laughs) can I quickly tell my story of when I had to go get a vaccination in Byron Bay last October oh my god Do you remember this? What for? Remember when that dog bit me on the hand, a pit bull kelpie cross with the world's Mm -hmm. strongest jaw bit down on my hand and obviously punctured a lot of the skin Um, and had to go into the hospital to get a tetanus shot. I was there to get a tetanus shot. But, of course, the doctor was so used to coming across people in Byron Bay who look like me with, like, wavy Mm -hmm. blonde hair tied up in a bun and a tan. Oh,
0: everyone in Byron Bay is an Adonis. Mm. Yeah
1: She was expecting that she was like sitting across the table from another anti-vaxxer So she started her sales pitch to tell me why it was important that I at least consider (laughs) getting a tetanus shot Which I just thought was hilarious I was like, oh no, honey, I'm not one of them I'm here to get the vaccine, please shoot me up Oh my
0: god Then People refuse to take a tetanus shot after they get bitten by an animal Yeah hmm Oh, holy Oprah. So
1: she was obviously taken aback by that and then she thought, yeah, but there's no way he's going to take antibiotics. So then she went into the sales pitch for why I needed antibiotics to stop the wound from getting infected. And oh once again, God. I cut her off halfway through and said, I'm absolutely keen to be taking that if it's going to prevent a serious infection from happening. But, yeah, she was just so used to dealing with patients who would refuse to get a jab and refuse to take antibiotics. The
0: amount of deaths that have been prevented because of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot, although maybe they're right and maybe, you know, when you took those antibiotics, a chip was inserted into your body and now QAnon's following you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Who knows? Chemtrails. Other things.
1: Maybe we'll find out that they were right all along in this Netflix show. What is it called Byron
0: again? Bays. Byron Bay. Byron Bay. B A E S. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm so excited to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the only people who aren't psyched about it are people who live in Byron Bay. Everyone else is like, bring it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes, they think that they're really cool and alternative for living there, but it's just become as tacky as the Gold Coast.
0: It's just full of rich people, like, you know, Pretending they're hippies, mm. which funnily enough fits quite well into what I'm talking about today. But, um, yeah, it's just the worst. I mean, I remember going there because I spent a, a lot of my holidays as a kid in Lennox Head, which is about 20-minute drive from there. Yep. And so we would go into Byron Bay all the time, and that was in the mid-90s. And it was even there, it was so different. Mm-hmm. It was just like a really quiet little beach town. It, mm-hmm. it was so different to mm-hmm. what it is now. Yeah. It's just...
1: It's become monstrous. Mm.
0: It's turned monstrous. Anyway, oh, God, are we going to get a lot of hate from Byron people after this? (laughs) Doesn't everyone have a place like that? It's kind of like how that beach in the movie The Beach ended up becoming the worst beach in the world because everyone wanted to go to the beach and the beach and then they ruined the beach.
1: Yeah, people ruin everything.
0: That's like Byron. Byron mm-hmm. became a thing and then all the Marvel stars moved there and so then everyone else wanted to go there. Then every rich person who decided I'm going to live cleanly and do everything on goop and move to Byron Bay and now like people who've lived there 30 years can't afford rent on mm-hmm. their houses because rich business people from Sydney are taking all the housing. It's... Yeah, it's gentrified up the wazoo.
1: Mm-hmm. And so quickly that they, their plumbing system isn't even up to scratch. Like mm. their sewage system has all serious? sorts of issues. Yeah, because there's too many people, too many buttholes releasing too much crap into their sewers. <laughs> and so, yeah, they really struggle to cope with that. They're still trying to catch up with this massive influx of oh, people wow. that they suddenly had to cater for.
0: Houses. Listen to us get, like, this is about as close as you and I get to talking about social issues. (laughs) There's too many buttholes in Byron. (laughs) Put us on Q&A. Oh, I hope...
1: I hope they'll address that in Byron Bay. Hopefully.
0: Mm. Okay, finally. Oh, my God. People have been asking if we're going to talk about this, but I thought it would be best to wait until all three episodes or maybe it was four of the documentary aired, the exposed Lunar Park Ghost Train Fire documentary on ABC.
1: Oh. I didn't want
0: to talk about it with you until... I had finished watching it, which is why we haven't mm. brought it up. Have you finished watching it?
1: I am almost finished the third episode, so yeah, I and feel that's the
0: last one, right? There's it three. is, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, it's reaching its conclusion now. The amount of corruption that we've seen so far right. in that is mind blowing. What's
0: crazy to me is that in the episode I did about it, it was so hard to find any information. There's like a few newspaper articles archived online. And then most stories that had been written about it were all from those same few articles. So you're just getting the same quotes over and over and the same interviews over and over. I couldn't find any documentary about it. Mm. And so when I did my episode, I was like, okay, so people basically say either it was an accident and that the Lunar Park people were negligent and it wasn't safe enough, or it was that dumb thing with that child-killing demon, which mm-hmm. of course was just dumb, or it was Abe Saffron, the crime king of Sydney who mm. wanted to take over the lease of that land so he lit the fire on purpose to, you know, get control of Luna Park. Yep. And those three scenarios that I floated in the episode to me when I was doing all my research seemed like as likely as each other, like mm-hmm. it was or not the demon one, but it was like it could be anything. No one's really look deep enough into it to understand or prove what it could be but oh my gosh like Carol meldrum hannah who did this documentary she has like blown it wide open mm. it is so obvious what happened it is so obvious what went down it is so obvious who did it to the point where they you will not finish this documentary without your draw jaw being on the floor mm. it's on abc IV. go watch it And to the point now where she made it so obvious what had happened and uncovered it so well that there's now talk that they are more than likely going to reopen the inquiry into it Mm. so they can finally charge people Mm. and get some justice.
1: They absolutely have to. It would be inexcusable not to. Like, it
0: literally went all the way to the Premier of New South Wales, Chief of Police of New South Wales. Like, it was gobsmackingly corrupt and it literally went all the way to the top in ways that you cannot believe. Mm. People deserve to be charged. It was murder. Children died.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, and it wasn't just Abe Saffron. Abe Saffron was a criminal. Everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it was just him, it'd be like, oh, well, that's awful but not entirely surprising. But the fact that he did it in conjunction with very important, prominent people in politics and mm-hmm. the police force. Mm-hmm. What?
1: Members of the police force who have proven to be terribly corrupt as well. Yes. Yes, they had a history of this. This was just common practice for them to yes. help gloss over things like this and not investigate them properly. And
0: so, I mean, um, you know, my episode of the Ghost Train Fire definitely gave just the gist and when this documentary came out, it was like, whoa, that was really just the gist because it goes so deep. Mm. You've got to watch it. Exposed. The Lunar Park Ghost Train Fire on ABC iview. Man, it's shocking. Mm -hmm. Shocking.
1: There are quite a few petitions out there as well if you want to um, lend some support, requesting Mm. that the New South Wales Premier today, Gladys Berejiklian, ensure that the investigation is completed thoroughly, objectively, and that justice is actually served.
0: Yeah, I'll put them in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is... All the breaking news. I
1: cannot believe you didn't bring up Prince Philip, but I guess everyone's talking about oh, that.
0: I just don't really care about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, okay, breaking news. Um, a hundred-year-old man died, or ninety-nine-year-old man died. He was the Queen's um,
1: cousin. Uh, it matters.
0: I um was out at a bar, and I went to the toilet to do a wee, and was on my phone on the toilet and it came up on Twitter. And so I took a photo of myself on the toilet and sent it to you and said, where were you when you heard Prince Philip had died? And it was a <laughs> selfie of me on the crapper. <laughs> and I think I was the first one. I think that's how you found out.
1: Yeah. Um, I was away <laughs> at a beach house with all of my friends and then I broke the news to all of them. And, yeah, to be honest, all of their reactions were the same as yours. Like, eh, oh,
0: well, old men passes I mean, away.
1: That's going to happen. It is
0: very... It's very sad that, you know, they've been married for a very long time and and she seems incredibly lucid and with it. So she's got, what, another six, seven years of Mm. living to go, which would be very hard considering she has known him since she was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that is sad. I just think it's going to be really juicy and fascinating to watch what happens with Harry at the funeral and stuff, Mm. which Meghan isn't going to.
1: She's pregnant. There's a pandemic happening and she shouldn't
0: be flying. She's pregnant, there's a pandemic happening and she recently had a miscarriage. So it is like so obvious that she would be told not to fly. But it's one of those things where if she goes, she's going to be told that she's selfish and Mm. making it all about her. And if she doesn't go, she's going to be told that she's selfish and making it all about her. So she can't win. Mm. Why go? Why go hang out with racist people who don't like you?
1: Absolutely. And let's, yeah. <laughs> she can't fly right now. It would make yeah, no exactly. sense for her to fly. If anyone gives her any flack, then they really need to reevaluate their own life choices.
0: Exactly. Oh, yeah. So, okay. That was my, I can't believe I brought up Byron Bay's and not Prince Philip dying. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even on my I didn't even consider putting it on my list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Do you have anything? Thank
1: you to the person who sent this through to me. It did almost give me nightmares. I'm very glad about the fact that you can't walk and drink at the same time because someone over in the UK, you might have seen this, she was drinking out of a metal no. straw, fell over while she was walking and drinking and the straw <gasps> pierced her through the eye and she died the next day because of the injury that she suffered.
0: Oh, my so,
1: God. Duh. I am pro metal oh. straw except for when they're in a can and absolutely not if you're going to be up and around walking. Turns well, out they a big I'm, old hazard.
0: Lucky I'm a total unco yes. and I have to physically stop walking every time I take a sip of any kind of drink. I just can't do it at the same time, which is why I'm scared to drive, by the way. But um, that is like the way people died in the Final Destination movie, Right. Like yes. that is some mm-hmm. weird shiz.
1: Yeah, very, very sad that that happened, and absolutely mm-hmm. horrific. So just be careful, everybody.
0: Okay. Yeah, just don't don't drink and walk. Don't walk and drink out of your metal straw. Mm-hmm. Okay. Public service announcement. Episodes B- with B- a message. The more you know. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is that everything?
1: Yes. What are you telling All us this right. week?
0: Oh well, no! Excuse me. Oh, don't sorry, try and sorry. get out of me doing the second half of. <gasps> Breaking news. Thank you very much. Okay. This week I feel like because we've done some live shows and the episodes have been like different, I just thought let's just get back to a classic famous story Mm -hmm. that I want to give you just the gist of. Mm -hmm. So this week I'm giving you just the gist of the Charles Manson murders. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I know, and it's a biggie, it's a biggie. There's a lot to it.
1: Mm. This is very timely because of the whole satanic panic nonsense going on over in the US mm. because of Little Nas X and his Montero. Yeah, what they're calling a Satan worshipping video, which is such a silly, silly interpretation of what it is. Um, but
0: also, it's really bizarre that people think Charles Manson has anything to do with Satanism because he based all of his cult teachings in like really kind of fundamentalist Christianity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll get into. So
1: I've already exposed the fact that I know almost <laughs> nothing about Charles Manson and the Manson family. Most of what I know mm. comes from either South Park when he made a cameo on there mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. um, once upon a time in Hollywood, which obviously was a total reimagining of what happened yes. with him. Which I watched
0: in the course of researching this. I mean, he was definitely went mm. on to be like referred to as Satan and the most evil person who ever lived and the most evil criminal murderer who ever lived. But, yeah, most of what he did was to do with uh, he would call himself, he insisted to his followers that he was the second coming of Christ, that he was
1: Jesus. Yeah. (sighs) There's been a few of them, haven't there?
0: Yeah. So I will say right up front, guys, this is just the gist. And the Manson family, the Manson murders, Charles Manson, it's a big story. Mm-hmm. So we are covering just the gist. I'm giving you just the details you need to get through a dinner party. Mm-hmm. There is so much more into all of this. We'll give you all the resources at the end that I looked at, a lot of amazing stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm probably, if you are a Charles Manson aficionado, expert, obsessed with the story, which a lot of people are, mm. We're going to be leaving some stuff out, but that's because what is the name of this podcast, Jacob?
1: Just the gist.
0: Exactly. Okay. It's a big gist, though, because there's a lot to it. So here we go.
1: I say we rename it. No, no, hang on. Sorry.
0: (laughs) How dare you? What were you going to say?
1: I was just going to say I think we should rename it to Just the Pist.
0: Since (laughs) we're now getting
1: free booze, finally. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, who got involved in that.
0: I know. Can you believe that? And by the way, I put it up on the Just The Gist Instagram, but um, Bird in Hand is offering 10% off to all of our listeners until the end of April. If you go to their website and order some of their stuff online, just use the code ROSIE10 and you get 10% off. <laughs> okay. Can I just tell you before we move on how mortified I was to get the wine? Like, okay. So... We hassled them so much and we kept joking all the time. Like I kept joking but kind of not telling everyone, tag bird in hand, tag bird in hand, how dare they not have given me free wine yet, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But obviously I was being facetious. Like it was all just silliness and funny. And then they finally, I think because just enough of you, God bless you all, just hassled them, tagged them, hassled them, tagged them. Finally I get a message from them saying, do you want some free wine? And I was like, (laughs) yes, please. <laughs> and so I gave them my address, assuming that like it would be couriered over. Right. And so the next day, like the next day, so I wasn't expecting it. I just got home from being in the office. I'd done that thing where I'd walked in the door, taken my bra off from under my top and just sat down <laughs> on the couch. And I was like looking at my laptop. I'd like got my shoes off. I'm like, just like, you know, and screen. The- the door was open, but the screen door was closed. And then all of a sudden there's a knock at the screen door and my laptop was facing the screen door. Like, and so I could see in the laptop that there was a woman standing at my screen door with a big box. And immediately like my, my heart just dropped, my stomach dropped through my body. Cause I was like, oh my God, that is someone from bird in hand. And I turned around, I was like, hi. And I think she didn't want to tell me. She's like, oh, Rosie, I said, "Yes." Yeah. she goes, we've got a special delivery for you from um, Bird in Hand. And I, I was so embarrassed because my boobs were like hanging down around my bloody hips because I'd <laughs> taken my breath. And I was like, hey. And I opened the door and I was like, and she just was in a, I could see she was in a regular car. Like she was a very nice lady, clearly not a courier. And I was like, are you from? bird in hand and oh my gosh I can't remember her name I wish I could but she um she's like yeah she works there and she said she was driving to somewhere near my house so she thought she would just drop it off in person and I was so mortified because I was like I have shamelessly lobbied for you to give me free shit <laughs> never thinking that I would have to come across any of you face to face it was
1: verging on cyberbullying. So
0: <laughs> I know and then she's standing there with this box and it was basically like, you hassled us until we would give you this free thing. And I was like, (laughs) like, no, but she was lovely. Like, that's how I felt. And, um, she was like, oh my gosh, yes. Like someone got in touch and we hadn't realized and then blah, blah, blah. And, and as soon as we realized we wanted to give you something like, she was really nice, but I was just, and I apologize if I came across like, I don't think I came across rude. I just came across like I didn't know what to say. Like I just stood there going, ha, ha, I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to hassle you. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, thank you, though. I'll take it. But also, (laughs) oh, my God, I didn't expect you to turn up. Oh, you really didn't have to do this. Oh, I felt like I was mortified. So as much as I loved getting the free wine, I will say every time you like shamelessly lobby to get free shit, Imagine if the person you're trying to get free shit off is the one who delivers it to you personally. Do you still want to lobby for it? Well, Can you handle that embarrassment and shame? Because it was pretty embarrassing. <laughs>
1: um, okay. Okay. Let's put it to the test. Everyone, could you start lobbying to get um, the Dom Perignon Lady Gaga collaboration to send me free <laughs> wine, please? Um, and then Gaga herself can come and deliver it to me. That would be great. Thank you all very much. You've shown us the power that you have. Put it to good you, use.
0: But Just The Gist fans, you do truly have just some so power because mm-hmm. well, houses, I, yeah free wine and a discount. Because then when I posted that I got free wine, everyone, all of you guys were like, what about us though? Where's our wine? Where's our <laughs> discount? And then Bird in Hand messaged me a couple of days later and they were like, uh, I think your fans want a discount so they can have one." I was like, yes, they're very demanding, but I love them.
1: You <laughs> so earned well you, you earned.
0: earned you discount. earned your 10% discount. You now really let me, did.
1: Get me some Lady Gaga Dom.
0: Okay, here we go. Charles Manson and the Manson murders. <coughs> Charles Manson is born mm-hmm. November 1934. To a mother called Kathleen, who's only sixteen, mm-hmm. and his dad was a guy called Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Walker Henderson St- Scott Sr. had told Kathleen he was in the army to get her into bed, mm-hmm. but actually his first name was just Colonel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, oh, oh. So she was really impressed with this fancy army man, but that was just his name. <gasps>
1: wow! And when she
0: told him she was pregnant, like a month later, he was like, "Whoop! I gotta go away on some important army business," and then he left and never came back.
1: Uh-huh. So my um, mind is Cap- blown already by this. I didn't know you could name someone a title. Although Me Beyonce either. has her ch- one of Beyonce's kids is named Sir. Right? Sir. Yes. Yeah, okay. Sir. All right. Okay. There you go. You can do that. So.
0: Kathleen gives birth to Charles Manson. She drinks a lot. She's marries and dates a bunch of different dudes. One of those dudes had the last name Manson, which is why Charles ends up with the last name Manson. They move around a lot to be with all her different boyfriends and husbands. Charlie was often left alone while she went out drinking, Sounds like my childhood. Um, (laughs) She was in and out of prison for various things, so he'd be sent to live with different family members and foster homes Mm -hmm. and then he himself becomes a petty criminal as like a really young kid. He eventually ends up in a reform school for boys after being caught stealing Mm -hmm. and he says that there was a lot of abuse from older boys in that school, both physical and sexual. Mm -hmm. He tries to escape and ends up in proper adult prison at seventeen he gets out he goes back he gets out he goes back he marries some waitress who has a baby he goes back to prison goes back in prison gets out of prison goes back to prison she files for divorce eventually Mm -hmm. and he's not just doing petty theft stuff anymore he's assaulting people at one point he went to prison for um raping a man at knife point like, he's doing oh. horrific things to people. It started off stealing when he was a little kid, but then mm. it just became more and more horrific stuff. By his mid-20s, he manipulates two young girls into being sex workers for him, and he acts as their pimp, taking all of their money whilst also abusing them. Mm. And all this time, like, surviving and doing crime means that he's developed a certain kind of intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, He's assessed at a few of the prisons he goes to and he's very poor at reading and writing, but he has an IQ of 108. So, Mm -hmm. like, he's not an idiot. He's also extremely street smart and very good at adapting to different situations and manipulating people around him into doing what he wants. Like, those are the kinds of skills he developed. Basically you know, growing up, raising himself in and out of reform schools and prison. Mm -hmm. He's considered by psychiatrists who assess him at the time of his early 20s to be a narcissist and a sociopath. Mm -hmm. He always believed um, he was inherently better than other people in the world and that he had a right to do whatever he wanted and take whatever he wanted because no one had ever done anything for him. Mm -hmm. He was apparently obsessed with the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm -hmm. So he really was from um, early on trying to figure out how to get people to do what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, get this, did 130 hours worth of Scientology auditing classes oh. in prison, <laughs> Oh, but he said he thought it was too crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. So that was um, the threshold I mean,
1: even he wouldn't cross. Yes. Right.
0: I've been wanting to do a Just the Gist on Scientology for so long, but I'm too scared. Oh. Ah. They come after you, man. They, mm. like, they come after you. The squirrel hunters. I really want to do one. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, while you build up the nerve to that, if anyone's curious, um, track down the documentary Going Clear. Mm, it's excellent. That is and is mind-blowing.
0: The, the book of Going Clear as well is amazing. Okay, so in 1967... He's 33. He's released from prison, you know, for the upteenth time, having spent over half his life behind bars at this point. Mm -hmm. Before he's let out at this time in 1967, he actually makes a request to the parole board asking if he can just stay because he considers prison his home and he doesn't want to leave. They deny his request. So now he's a free man. He doesn't really know how to function in regular society. He's had a lifetime of education in how to survive by manipulating and hurting people. Mm-hmm. And he's a sociopath who believes the world owes him whatever he wants. So it's not a great combination.
1: No, seems um, like a pretty uh, dangerous cocktail. Did they give him any sort of treatment after they'd diagnosed him as a narcissist and No, I don't think so. No.
0: Um, from what I've read, like, they attempted to, um, as best as the terrible prison system can, um, have doctors talk to him and whatever. But he, as often narcissists do, just didn't ever consider that he needed any help with anything. Mm-hmm. So, it's very difficult to treat a narcissist right. and a sociopath. Mm-hmm. And I should know because I was born to <laughs> one. <laughs> so he gets out of prison, heads to San Francisco to the Haight Ashbury area, which was a pretty famous hippie area at the time. And he survives by playing guitar on the street and begging, essentially. But he's incredibly charismatic and he has the right kind of look and feel for hippie counterculture at the time. Like he's tiny, he's five foot five, which is the same height as me. He's really skinny. He's got uh, long brown hair and a scraggly beard and big brown eyes. Like he doesn't look intimidating Mm -hmm. to people. And he starts preaching on the streets about just hippie nonsense. And he gets a bunch of rich white girls obsessed with him. Kind Mm -hmm. of like if a guru turned up in Byron Bay today And it suddenly became like the flavor of the month. Mm. All the rich influences would be like, yes, I'm on board with this random guy. Oh, my God. Like Pete Evans just went to Byron Bay.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
0: It's exactly like that. So all these like rich sort of. Not rich, but I would say middle class to upper middle class wealthy white girls become obsessed with him. It's like all the Karens because a lot of well to do kids live around there for university. So mm. we're talking late teens, early twenties, and to them it was like, oh, let's like slum it for a little while, like mm. pretending to be a hippie and hanging out with this guy and doing something cool. And so, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with just pissing off their parents and. It's nice for – we've talked about this before – nice and easy for very privileged people to slum it for a while, Mm. knowing that they have their big secure homes to – Go back to once they're done. Yeah. So um, it's just yeah. a
1: novelty for them. It's yeah. like a form of tourism to go and hang out with the poor. I mean, when we spoke about Paddy Hurst months and months yes. and months ago, that was exactly. exactly what she was doing, and she, you know, also has that sort of storyline of falling in with a charismatic leader who yeah. they then dedicate themselves to. Yes.
0: Yeah, so that's exactly what was happening. Um, happening, but he realizes pretty quickly that this is a good way to live because these rich girls hang off his every word. They give him money. They let him move in with them to their little apartments that their parents are renting for them while they're at um, uni. And he doesn't want to just tie himself to any one girl. He wants money and options from all these girls. Mm. So he kind of, you know, does this whole free love um, you know, it was the late '60s, so everyone mm. was just doing like free love, monogamy's dumb, people just love people, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he appoints himself a guru, and he starts giving sermons mm-hmm. that are kind of just rambling nonsense that he's patched together from a bunch of different religions. Mm. He, like I said, implies that he's the second coming of Christ because his last name is Manson, which is man's son, <laughs> so he's like the son of man. Mm. He tells his followers that they are reincarnations of the original Christians from Rome and they are going to be taken care of when Judgment Day comes. Mm -hmm. But he chucks some other (laughs) stuff in there. He did um, study Church of Satan stuff. But what he really took from it was just, like, the ways to hook people in and manipulate people. The same as, like, he used some Scientology techniques to get people in with him. Like, he's just kind of making it up as he goes along and he's very charismatic and intoxicating to listen to. Mm-hmm. And it's also helped along by the fact that they're all taking a ton of LSD. Anybody who starts following him, he it's, it's a rule that you have to take LSD. Mm-hmm. So they all think that everything that he says is the most meaningful thing they've ever heard in their lives. Because mm-hmm. they're off their faces, they're high.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's not just... So he has the sort of wealthy, middle-class people that he recruits for the money, but then he also understands that vulnerable people are desperate to be loved and have a community. So he also recruits, like, women who... Like, a lot of sex workers, mm-hmm. runaways, who don't have a lot of money. So he, like... He just knows exactly how to target the one thing that people need and he's like, I will give it to you and then they all start following him. Mm -hmm. So eventually he has about 12, 13, 14 followers, mostly women, but a couple of men. Mm -hmm. They buy a school bus with some of the rich followers' money Mm -hmm. and they start driving up and down the West Coast, just picking up more followers along the way, living in this school bus, Mm -hmm. all these like drugged up, kids who like the idea of being connected to this cool hippie and the girls all sleep with Manson mm-hmm. it's all very much like I'm allowed to have sex with all of you all the time mm-hmm. um, a few of them get pregnant so then they start having kids with them
1: oh, In wow this traveling
0: school bus group <gasps> he also makes the girls sleep with other men like he uses them like tools so he'll make them sleep with other men for money Mm -hmm. or often that's how they get their drugs. He Mm -hmm. would make the girls sleep with drug dealers and bikies so that they always had a constant stream of LSD coming in. Mm -hmm. And they all do it because, you know, it's the age of free love and they're high out of their minds and they're convinced this guy's Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they just do whatever he says. Mm -hmm. And um, people say that he had this amazing ability to make people feel special. And I think you can't underestimate And this wasn't just because it was the late 60s and hippies were a thing. I think this just applies universally all the time. Mm -hmm. You can't underestimate how desperate people are to just feel seen and listened to and loved Mm -hmm. and wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't unusual for people who met him for the first time to sit with him like one-on-one for an hour and end up weeping Mm -hmm. because he made them feel so loved and seen and Mm -hmm. special. Mm -hmm. People still talk, like people who were part of it back then today still say, I have never felt as amazing as I did the first time I met him and he talked to me and it felt like he looked into
1: my soul. You hear that from people who escape a lot of different cults. Like you say, it is a very universal thing. A lot of people don't ever truly experience unconditional love until they encounter one of these manipulative, charismatic leaders who's created a group of people who are incredibly accepting of newcomers um mm-hmm. and they feel this rush of love and acceptance and adoration that's totally new to them and it's intoxicating mm-hmm.
0: and, and he knows exact he knows exactly what he's doing because mm. he's incredibly intelligent and educated in how to manipulate people in order to survive mm. so this is he's just surviving mm. and so he ends up with about 25 followers and it's about this time when they're randomly driving around on the bus parking at places, scavenging bins for food, like the whole glamorous hippie <laughs> experience, um, that Charles Manson meets Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of Manson girls were hitchhiking and Dennis Wilson picks them up and takes them to his beachside mansion. They stay a while, they party with him, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. The next day he's out for the day. He gets home and Manson is standing in his driveway and he's like, What the hell, dude? Who are you? And Dennis, like, tells him to get lost. He's scared that this, like, scraggly-looking hippie is going to kill him or something. Mm -hmm. And Manson gets down, kisses his feet, and says, I would never hurt you. My name's Charles Manson. I'm here to be your friend, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so Dennis is, like, again, like a super-privileged rich white dude who's Mm. like oh I want to be part of the hippie counterculture this makes me cool Mm. so he's like yeah come in man and he invites Charles Manson into his mansion and there's already 15 young girls in there waiting for them so he's invited all his followers to just (gasps) be there Dennis Wilson lets them stay the night and then they don't leave for months
1: Uh uh-huh
0: and this is crazy. A lot of people don't know just how connected the Manson family and Charles Manson are with the Beach Boys. It's really nuts.
1: I did not know at all. So yeah. he, he wasn't so, like the main one, was he?
0: He was. That was, uh, Brian well, Wilson. He was Yeah, he was a brother of the Wilsons. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Wilson was the drummer and backup singer. Okay. So <laughs> he gets really pulled in by Manson's shtick and... Of course, even though Manson has this whole thing about being Jesus and Judgment Day coming and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. he stops focusing on that when he meets Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys because what does every man with a giant ego who thinks he's better than everyone else think he should be famous?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: So (laughs) Manson starts playing Dennis his songs Mm -hmm. and Dennis, who's also off his face on LSD, thinks that they're really good. Mm -hmm. And... Dennis introduces Manson to the Beach Boys and Manson does some recordings with them. Mm. He also introduces Manson to this big time music pr- producer called Terry Melcher mm. who was dating Candice Bergen at the time. Oh. And um, Manson plays Terry Melcher some songs and Terry, who is not on a lot of acid because he's a successful music producer, is like, "Lol, no, these are the most terrible songs. <laughs> heard. Um, Dennis Wilson's clearly off his face and, but just a loser pretending to be a cool hippie. But he doesn't say that to Manson's face. He basically just says, look, don't call us, we'll call you kind of thing, which Charles Manson takes very seriously. So he starts writing and preparing songs for when Terry Melcher, big time music producer, is going to call and offer him a record deal and make him famous. He truly believes he's the most talented singer-songwriter in the world.
1: (laughs) We've met people like that.
0: Yes. Um, And apparently while he's spending all this time with Dennis Wilson and the Beach Boys, um, he crosses paths with a lot of famous people because he's running in those circles in Hollywood, Mm. um, most of whom try to deny it later, don't want to admit that they ever hung out with him. But a couple of people have admitted it, like Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, he Mm. admitted meeting him a couple times at Dennis Wilson's house. Like a few people have said, yeah, I met him. He just seemed like this random hippie that Dennis let move into his house with all these girls and it was almost like Dennis was just living out this kind of lame cool kid fantasy of Mm -hmm. hanging out with like the cool hipsters. Right. But really he was just like a square rock star. Like
1: And was he like were the Beach Boys retired at this point or No, the Beach Boys were at
0: like the Beach Boys were at like pinnacle of peak. Yeah. Pinnacle of pinnacle of peak. (laughs) They were at the pinnacle of their success. Like, the, um, yeah, they were, it was a big deal. Uh-huh. And so Charlie basically let Dennis treat the girls like servants. So they would all walk around naked. They would all do everything around the house. Um, Dennis would just have parties where a lot of famous people would come over knowing, hey, Dennis has got a bunch of naked hippie girls at his house who will sleep with anyone. Mm-hmm. But things after a few months did start to get tense at, Dennis Wilson's house. He loved having them there at first, Mm. but then after a while having smelly hippies in your house gets kind of old. He ends up spending thousands on medical care when an outbreak of gonorrhea spreads through all the girls and... (laughs) He's having uh, sex with them, so he has uh, to you know, be the one to pay to fix it. Uh, they crash his $50,000 uh, car. They keep stealing his stuff and selling it. So he just, every day he comes home, there's more stuff missing. <laughs> Manson won't stop hassling him about becoming a famous singer and like, where's Terry Melcher? Why isn't Terry Melcher getting back to me? So Dennis eventually buys one of Manson's songs that he's written and the Beach Boys record it. They put it on Get the B side of one of on one of their <laughs> singles, and it's on their 1969 album.
1: Oh, what's it called?
0: Well, when Charles Manson wrote it, it was called "Cease to Exist," mm-hmm. and he told Dennis Wilson, "I'll only sell it to you if you don't change the lyrics and you don't change the name." Mm-hmm. But Dennis Wilson was like, "Lol." He changed a bunch of the lyrics, and he changed the name to "Never Learn Not to Love." And when the song comes out on the um, single record and then on the album, the only credited songwriter is Dennis Wilson. He doesn't credit Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. And so Manson is furious. And Mm -hmm. Dennis was like, I paid for it. You've been living in my house. Like consider a... even Mm -hmm. you weird little hippie Mm -hmm. but then he like manson and his followers pretty much trash dennis wilson's house steal everything they hadn't taken already and dennis wilson is like okay the novelty of living with you hippies is worn off Mm -hmm. i'm a rich straight white man i'd like a clean house with none of you around go away but they refuse to go he doesn't know what to do he's so overwhelmed by it he eventually gets scared so he moves out and he'd only been renting it so the (sighs) landlord is the one that has to evict them all. He just leaves one day (laughs) because he can't handle it anymore. So. Wow. This is when they end up at a place called Spahn Ranch, Charles Manson and what he's now calling his family. Mm-hmm. It's a big property just outside of Los Angeles. It had been an old set for Western movies and TV shows. So there's a whole heap of old buildings like a saloon and a sheriff's office but all just kind of movie facade buildings but mm-hmm. enough kind of structures for them to all, for there to be room for all of them and their gazillion babies that they've got now and stuff to all mm-hmm. live in it's owned by an 80 year old blind guy called george spahn mm-hmm. and charles manson got him to agree to let them all live there if they maintain the property did chores for george and the girls would have sex with him whenever he wanted so mm-hmm. george was like yeah okay Ugh. yeah and so at this point it kind of turns into a bit of a hippie commune mm-hmm. the women all worked like maintaining the ranch. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who scavenged for food. Charles Manson and the few men there were didn't really do anything except get high. Manson made it mandatory that everybody take LSD at a certain time in the afternoon and then they would all sit there and he would just preach his nonsense to them for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and And then they'd have massive orgies at night, often with the bikies who would come to supply them with drugs Mm -hmm. and then they'd wake up the next day and just... Do it all again and that's what they were doing mm. but charles manson is getting madder and madder because he wasn't hearing anything from that big time music producer terry melcher he's like terry melcher said he was gonna call me and make me a star and how come i'm not a famous rock star by now <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: He keeps this so funny. I had no I idea that he wanted to be a famous oh. rock and roll man.
0: At the end of the day, that's all he wanted. Like all of this is nonsense. So he keeps trying to get in touch with Terry Melcher, but he can't. Dennis Wilson's cut him off. Uh, quite a few of his followers are running away. So he starts to get a bit desperate and his ramblings and ideas start to get really weird. And then he listens to the Beatles' White Album mm. and he believes that they wrote it just for him to send him secret messages Uh messages and Manson who's always been incredibly racist has been preaching for quite a while to his followers about an impending race war between black people and white people and he says that the song Helter Skelter on the Beatles white album Mm. is about that race war Mm -hmm. and that one day soon Black people are going to kill all the white people on earth and take over everything. So he and his followers need to go find a a bottomless pit in the desert and at the bottom of that bottomless pit is a secret city where they will hide until the race war is over and then they'll come up and they'll take over from the black people because the black people killed everyone but then they're too stupid to know what to do with the earth once they're in charge of it. So Manson and his family will live like kings. That's the basic premise of what he thought the Beatles were telling him on the White Album.
1: Okay, right. And the followers just got on board with this.
0: Well, yeah. So he starts telling his followers that this is going to happen soon. So even though things aren't great at Spahn Ranch and everyone is hungry and it sucks and it's hot and people are running off, he's like soon Helter Skelter will happen Mm. and then everything will be better. We're going to be kings. And so in the meantime, he's like, you know what we should be doing? We should be working on my songs because (laughs) we need to be ready when Terry Melcher calls. (laughs) So, I mean, he. this is where people argue, like most people, and this is what I think say, he didn't believe any of this nonsense. Mm. He was just saying and doing whatever he could to get these people to look after him because he's like, soon I'll be famous Mm. and then they can all get effed. A lot of other people say, though, he truly did start to believe the stuff he was saying, Mm -hmm. but most people say that that's a generous interpretation and that he truly thought he was just going to end up a rock star.
1: Mm-hmm. I can understand why he would feel the need to give people a purpose and a reason for being around him and serving him greater oh, than yeah. he's going to be famous. I'm, I am would love to know how many of them actually believe that there genuinely was a race war coming.
0: Well, when you, like, interviews later with a lot of them, they said they truly believed it. They were on so much LSD. Mm-hmm. They were so hungry. Like, they... Had been with this guy, they'd already um, put in so much time with him. So they, they had a lot invested in believing it was true. Mm. Like a lot of them said they truly did believe what he was saying to the point where, like, these are their days. So a bunch of the Manson family would go out into the desert on little June buggies, like little, I don't know, like four wheelers. Yeah. Mm. Driving around the desert looking for the bottomless pit. The rest of the Manson family would stay at the ranch and help him with his songs, getting Mm -hmm. them ready for Terry Melcher, listening to him singing and rambling, and all of them were off their heads on LSD all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And at some point, Charlie gets sick of waiting, so he decides to visit Terry Melcher Mm -hmm. because he remembers where Terry Melcher lives from having, like, stopped at his house one day with Dennis Wilson. So Charles Manson goes to the house. He knocks on the door and a man answers and Charles Manson's like, is Terry Melcher here? And he's like, no, weirdo hippie. Terry Melcher doesn't live here anymore. This is now the Polanski residence. Mm -hmm. And a woman called Sharon Tate comes to the door and asks her friend who it is. And he's like, Sharon, I don't know. He's looking for the Melchers. And they're like, oh, they used to live here. They don't live here anymore. Mm -hmm. And... um. Charles is like – Charles Manson is like, oh, okay, fine, and he leaves. Mm -hmm. But he had definitely clocked seeing Sharon Tate while Mm -hmm. he was there. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Okay, so – not long after this, Charles Manson is still losing a lot of followers. A lot of people are getting sick of it. They're getting sick of waiting for to Skelter to happen. They're running off. Mm-hmm. Another follower of his follower of his, had been arrested for murder and he was worried that that guy while in prison was going to admit to things and maybe like he he just like there was a lot of pressure on him. There's a lot of crimes going on at this time. Mm-hmm. A lot of the family are getting implicated in a lot of things. It's a lot of detail that we don't really need but just pressure is big building Mm -hmm. and his followers are getting really mad that Helter Skelter isn't happening because he promised them it would happen at the start of 1968 and it's now almost mid-1968 and nothing's happened Mm -hmm. and I honestly think he just thought he would never have to deal with that like Mm -hmm. he'd be famous and long gone and then Helter Skelter would never have to come to fruition because he wouldn't be there anymore Mm -hmm. but he is there and things are getting desperate (laughs) so then Charles Manson said okay I've listened to the White Album again Mm -hmm. and I've realised that we need to make Helter Skelter happen ourselves. They've sent me messages through the songs. Mm -hmm. We need to go and commit some awful crimes and we need to make it look like those crimes were committed by the Black Panthers who were a black activist group at the time Mm -hmm. and so then white people will freak out, they'll start retaliating against black people for these crimes and that will set off the race war.
1: That so, is disgusting. I know. Oh, that is absolutely foul. I know. Oh, oh it reminds me and of QAnon and the Q, we are the storm yeah. decision that, oh, the storm's not coming. Oh, that's because we should have been the ones to actually I know. storm.
0: But also what makes it ickier than that is that this all comes down to a guy with an ego who's pissed off that he's not famous. Mm. He's angry at Terry Melcher. He's angry at people who promised him they'd make him a rock star, but then they didn't. Mm. He thinks he deserves to be bigger than the Beatles mm. and he's not. And so he's mm. he's bitter about it. He's <laughs> just.
1: Going to start a race war to make himself feel yes, better. Oh, exactly. my God.
0: So on the night of August 8th, 1969, oh, sorry, I might have said 1968 before, just late 60s, Manson tells Tex Watson, who's one of the only men in the family and kind of his right-hand man, he tells Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel and Linda Kasabian to go to that house where Terry Melcher used to live. He said he doesn't live there anymore, but I was there the other day and I saw that it's filled with movie stars. Mm -hmm. And I want you, Tex, to take the girls there and kill everyone in that house and make it look as gruesome as as possible and make it look like the Black Panthers did it. So they do. And this is where if you don't want to hear, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but even with basic detail, it's awful. So maybe, I don't know, skip ahead like two minutes. They get there just after midnight. They cut the phone line. There's an 18 year old called Stephen Parent who had been visiting the property caretaker who lived in the guest house. He was Mm. driving out of the driveway. They shoot him, kill him as he's coming out. Mm. Tex, Susan, and Patricia go into the house, but Linda Kasabian, who'd only been with the group for a couple weeks, is freaked out and stays out. She goes, I'm not going in. She stays out by the car. Inside the house is Sharon Tate. Who is a movie star, like mm-hmm. a a movie starlet? She'd been in three or four movies, mm-hmm. I think, up until this point, like playing bit parts. Mm-hmm. But she was very famous because she was married to very famous director Roman Polanski.
1: When you said Polanski, I wondered if it was Roman Polanski. Yeah. Oh, oh so, yeah. He so was she's married. In all
0: this. So she's married to Roman Polanski. She's eight and a half months pregnant. But he's not in the house. He's filming in London. Mm -hmm. So because she's so pregnant and worried about being by herself, she has some friends staying with her. So she has uh, her ex fiance and now best friend Jay Sebring who is known as like the hairstylist to the stars in mm-hmm. Hollywood. He was quite a famous hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Then there was Kathleen Folger, who was the heir to the Folger's coffee fortune. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of like a rich socialite. Mm-hmm. And then her boyfriend, Wycheck Wojkowski, who was a friend of Roman Polanski's. Mm-hmm. Tex and the girls round up all four of them and put them in the living room. They throw rope over the beams of the ceiling and tie it around their necks, planning to hang them. Mm. But then Jay, um, who is deeply in love with Sharon, leaps at Tex to try and prevent him from hurting her. So Tex shoots him. Mm. Everyone starts screaming. They demand money. So Kathleen gives them $70 from her purse, which is all she has, Mm. um, which makes them furious. They thought Jay was dead from the gunshot, but then he starts moaning. So Tex jumps on top of him and stabs him just mm. countless times. Mm. Um, check tries to run out the front door, but Tex catches him and stabs him 58 times. Oh, my and God. Shoots him and shoots him twice in the head. Oh. Kathleen Folger was stabbed by... Patricia Grenwinkle and Tex Watson 28 times. Wow. And allegedly said towards the end, please stop stabbing me. I'm already dead. Oh. This leaves Sharon Tate, who pleads with them to Mm. let her child live. Mm. She offers to let them take her hostage until she gives birth. She says, I'm two weeks away from giving birth. Just take me and once I've given birth, kill me. And Susan Atkins looks at her and says, bitch, I have no mercy for you and stabs her 16 (sighs) times. Oh, Susan Atkins then takes Sharon Tate's blood and writes the word pig on the front door as that was something that the Black Panthers commonly referred to white police as, like Uh pigs and stuff. So they thought this will make people think the Black Panthers committed this crime. Right. The next morning, the housekeeper found the bodies, freaks out, calls the authorities. The groundskeeper who the, that friend had been visiting mm. the night before, lived in the guest house. He had seen some of what happened, freaked, went and hid, <gasps> and they never checked if he was there. So he's found alive the next morning. They initially think maybe he did it, mm. but they rule him out pretty quickly. He didn't
1: call the cops or anything. He just hid.
0: Well, I'd say he probably didn't have a phone in there. I don't know. Yeah, right. he hid. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. I don't know. This is just the gist. <laughs> I'm sure if he could have called the cops, he would have. Mm-hmm. So the four of them... Tex, Susan, Patricia and Linda and Linda by the way was so freaked out when she heard screaming coming from inside the house she knew something bad was happening at one point she ran up to Tex and told him that she thought someone was coming because she was trying to get them to leave she was Mm -hmm. trying to get them to stop and she's just traumatized by this whole thing she's like I just joined this hippie commune and what the hell is going on Mm -hmm. They get back to the ranch and tell Charlie how it went. But Charlie's really annoyed when they describe that, like, it had been such a panic mm. and that they didn't get more valuables and money. So he says, tonight we'll do it again, but I'll come with you and I'll show you how it's done. Mm. And so all the ones from the previous night plus a couple of extra people, including famously Leslie Van Hooten, went on this next run the next night. And the Sharon Tate murder had become just International news mm. since that morning, but particularly national news in the US, mm. and even more particularly, huge news in LA because mm. it was like, how could these beautiful white movie stars in a seemingly secure house just get completely slaughtered? So, everyone's talking about it, everyone's reading about it, it's all in the news, it's everywhere. Mm. Charles Manson and his group on this night pick a house that. Um, was next door to a house that Charles Manson remembered going to a party to once. Mm -hmm. And living in that house was a couple in their 60s called Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Mm -hmm. And they'd actually been reading and talking about the Tate murders all day Mm -hmm. because it's all anyone was talking about it. And their daughter remembers calling them on the phone and like telling them to be careful and to lock their door and stuff. Mm -hmm. They tied Lino up in the living room. They tied Rosemary up with the cord of her bedside lamp in the bedroom. Tex found a decorative, like, bayonet, like, you know, those sharp kind of swords. On the end of guns, in the, yeah. In, yeah, in the olden days in the mm. war. He found one of them on the wall. He stabbed Leno through the neck. Oh! And then he heard commotion in the bedroom. So he goes into the bedroom and see that Rosemary... Is swinging the lamp that they tied the cord to around her neck. She'd picked up the lamp and she's swinging it at the girls, (laughs) like trying to keep them at bay. But he stabs Rosemary with the bayonet also. And the girls also stab both of their dead bodies with kitchen knives. Tex carved the word war into Lino's stomach. And Patricia Krenwinkle used both their blood to write rise. And Death to Pigs on the Walls. And she also wrote Hell to Skelter, but she spelt it wrong because she's an idiot. <laughs> so she wrote Heel to Skelter on the wall. And like, look, a lot oh. A lot goes on over the next few months, but nobody catches them for a few months because initially nobody links the Tate murder to the LaBianca murder because it was like movie stars and regular people and and they were in different districts and so initially they'd not really been connected Um, and a lot of stuff happens over the next few months but eventually the police finally pieced together what happened which was helped along by Susan Atkins getting taken to prison for something else and admitting to her cellmate while in prison that she was the one who killed Sharon Tate. Mm. Um, and so then that cellmate tells people they get put on trial. It is huge news around the world. People are transfixed because this was—I mean, hippies at this time in 1969. It was all like, you know, the counterculture, the young people. It was all about peace and love, and and it was all—it was the thing that adults were scared of. Like, oh, if my kids take drugs and become a hippie, like they're going to go down a bad path and all the kids were like, no, we're just like having fun and being cool. This kind of proved if you take drugs and become a hippie, you're going to turn into these people. Mm -hmm. Like it, it really becomes like this huge story. Women are, devoted to Charles Manson. He becomes kind of like a sex symbol and he and all the women in the family who've been arrested carve X's onto their foreheads. He makes the girls shave their heads. The trials are just like a circus. Mm. He gets the girls to stand up and sing freaky songs. They're yelling things out. They're acting like children. Like they're just, the girls are still doing whatever he asked them to do. The girls all admit to the murders and say he had nothing to do with them. Like Mm. they're all trying to keep him from getting in trouble. Mm. And just all these people are going, but these are lovely middle-class white girls. Like Mm. how did this happen? How did they end up You know, one year they're on the cheerleading team and the next year they're murdering Sharon Tate because a hippie told them to. Mm. People were, their minds were blown.
1: Yeah, you can totally understand why people would be so morbidly fascinated by this because it's quite a unique story. And Mm. I guess there's an element that's somewhat relatable. Like they started out just like me, respectable, nice people who then got totally addled by drugs and had their brain hijacked.
0: Exactly. No, that's what it, That's and by a hippie. And that's why people say that, a lot of people say that um, the Charles Manson murders kind of signified the end of the 60s. It was the mm. end of free love. It was the end of all of that. And they say that it probably has a lot to do with the fact that, like, Ronald Reagan got voted in because all these people were like, free love was a disaster. Let's just be, like, total conservative capitalists from now on. Mm -hmm. And then just things totally went, like, the other direction.
1: (laughs) Which worked out so well for everybody.
0: Worked out so well for everybody. Charles Manson, over the course of the trial, becomes the most famous man in the world. Mm. He's put on the cover of Rolling Stone. Ew. Which is what, what he always wanted. Oh. Uh, the headline was the incredible story of the most famous man alive.
1: Oh, it's, I mean, it's guaranteed to sell copies, but for God's yeah. sake, don't feed his ego.
0: So he is, he's getting what he always wanted. He's famous. He's playing up to the cameras during the trial. The girls are playing up to the cameras during the trial. He kind of turns it into his whole own performance in which he is the star. Mm. Eventually, Linda Kasabian the one who had just joined the family and refused to go in the house on the night it happened, she agrees to be, like, the main star witness against Charles Manson and the whole family in exchange. I think she got, like, two years in prison or something in Mm -hmm. exchange for Mm -hmm. throwing everyone under the bus. Mm -hmm. They all eventually get found guilty and are sentenced to death, Mm -hmm. but that is commuted to life in 19... 72 when California abolishes the death penalty Mm -hmm. and Manson is shocked because technically like he never killed anyone Mm. he he didn't he wasn't there the night of the Sharon Tate murders Mm. and he was there at the La Bianca house but he didn't do any of it he just sent them all in to do it and so like a lot of people say like how can you find someone guilty of murder who didn't actually commit any murders.
1: He brainwashed them into doing it. He was the puppet master. He is responsible. He has to be held accountable. Who's well, yeah, debating I mean, that?
0: A lot of people, it's like, like, from a legal standpoint, like, because he also insists that he never told them explicitly to do anything. Mm. He just said words to the effect of, like, take care of it or make sure this gets done or don't leave that house until things look gruesome. But he never specifically said go and kill all these people. And also all of his followers, like all the girls on trial and Tex Watson all insist, oh, no, he never told us to do anything. We did it. We did it. We We love him. We did it. But, I mean, yeah, no, I don't think that. I'm just saying a lot of people have said that, Mm -hmm. that it was a lot of people were wondering like it it was a, a very real possibility that he would get off. Because technically he didn't do it. And it's still up in the air. There's a lot of other murders in this story of drug dealers and other random criminals surrounding the whole thing Mm -hmm. that he probably did kill them and stuff. But that's, you know, not just the gist. Mm -hmm. But these specific murders that they were on trial for, he didn't technically commit. Mm -hmm. And so it became a really fascinating kind of, it set a really fascinating new precedent of like, is he responsible? Considering that he, they, the only reason they did it is because of him. Mm-hmm. To the point where, throughout history, it wasn't until I read in detail about Charles Manson. I think when I was about twenty that I assumed, I always assumed that he had been the one to kill all those
1: people. Mm-hmm.
0: Like I think that's something a lot of people don't know.
1: I think I thought that as well. I thought he was more um, manually involved in yeah, me the slaughters. Too. But in actual fact, he was a bit more like Hitler, I guess. He wasn't out there actually Mm. killing the Jews, but he led the people who committed an entire Holocaust. So, Mm, um, yeah, he's 100% responsible.
0: Oh, and Charles Manson from that moment on till today is, you know, widely considered one of the most evil people in history, Mm. I guess. I mean, to the point where you thought he was... Involved in Satanism like <laughs> people, yeah. just, people have put Every person's concept of evil In the world, they kind of latch on To Charles Manson, you mm. say, who is the most Famous murderer in the world? Charles Manson Who's the most famous evil criminal? People say Charles Manson, like mm. he's You know, infamous mm. in that way
1: There's something about him That's especially insidious, I guess Because of the fact that he wasn't actually doing The stabbing himself, but that he managed To convince other people to do it on his behalf through yeah. a really nefarious method and for a very nefarious, disgusting purpose of starting mm. a race war. Like, I can't imagine much that's as evil as that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, oh, but really not even for a race war. Like I said before, all of this is because he was cranky that
1: he, he
0: didn't get made a rock star.
1: His pride was wounded and he needed yeah. to make himself feel powerful. Ugh.
0: Yes. Um, oh, and... Terry Melcher, when he found out that Charlie had been to his house looking for him, found Sharon Tate, murdered them all, was extremely traumatised, as was Candace Bergen, who had lived with him at that house. Mm. Um, and for years, he was petrified that they were still going to come find him. So was she. Because, I mean, if they hadn't have moved out, they would have still been there that night.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's haunting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, they all get sentenced to death, but then the death penalty is abolished, um, so they all get life in prison. Mm. Um, Over the years, the murdering members of the Manson family, the ones in jail, they kind of all realise the error of their ways. I guess finally being away from him, broke the spell, being in prison for life, probably Mm. wakes you up a bit too. (laughs) Tex Watson became a born-again Christian, got married and fathered four kids through conjugal visits before they were um, banned in the early 90s. Mm. He remains in prison and was last denied parole in 2016. Patricia Krenwinkel was last denied parole in 2017. When asked in an interview in 2004 who she'd placed at the top of the list of people she'd done the most harm to, she said, myself. (laughs) Mm. This one's interesting. Leslie Van Houten was given a retrial in 1977 because her lawyer had died in the middle of the first trial and they had to find someone else for her quite quickly. Mm. So she argued that she didn't get a proper representation. Um, at her retrial in 1977, the jury couldn't agree on a verdict because they were arguing the questions of that we were just talking about, like was Charles Manson responsible? Like they, w- they couldn't decide whether or not to find her guilty of murder or manslaughter, manslaughter being she has less responsibility and culpability because she was technically brainwashed. Mm-hmm. So the jury are deadlocked and because they're deadlocked, she gets released to wait for the, another trial. So in 1977, she spends six months out of prison, during which time she attends the Oscars with a friend. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no way. And at the, end of the, at the end of the six months, she has a third trial in which she is found guilty. So she gets given life in prison. She was last denied parole in 2020, so last year. hmm Susan Atkins, the one who stabbed Sharon Tate to death. Mm -hmm. She got brain cancer and asked for compassionate release when she was dying, which was refused. Mm -hmm. She died in prison in 2009. Mm -hmm. Charles Manson loved prison. People said for him this wasn't a punishment because prison was his favourite place he considered it home. Mm. He maintained throughout his life that he didn't do anything, that the others committed the murders on their own. He never asked them to do it. He can't help what they did without him knowing. He uh, turned the X that he'd carved into his head during the trial into a swastika. Ah. He did interviews as much as he could. He loved press. He loved attention in which he, he was always rambling and narcissistic and unapologetic. Mm he had a bunch of relationships with women while in prison um and he has a lot of kids floating around out there but the main relationship he had towards the end of his life was with a woman he called star and when he died in prison from colon cancer at the end of 2017 there was a big fight over who would get his body because star wanted to have it embalmed and take it on tour to make money off it. Ew. But in the end, one of Manson's grandsons eventually got control of his body and he had it cremated and disposed of. Mm-hmm. A lot of members of the family stayed devoted to him after he went to prison. Most dropped off over the years, but a couple stayed big time devoted. The most devoted was a woman called Lynette Fromm, who most people know as Squeaky Fromm. She went to prison herself in 1975 for attempting to assassinate President Gerald Ford while wearing a red robe that was the official uniform of the new religion Manson had formed while in prison. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. She always professed her allegiance to Manson, never took it back, but she was paroled in 2009. And so she's out, she's free. Mm. And asked in an interview in 2019 if she was in love with Charles Manson. She said, Was I in love with Charlie? Yeah, I still am.
1: Gross. Mm. Oh, he really did a number on her. Um,
0: but- and that is just the gist. Of Charles Manson oh, my. and the Manson murders.
1: Ew. I'm yes. fascinated to know more, actually. I'm probably going to ask you for a list of um, documentaries and whatnot, so no doubt yeah. you'll put that in the show notes because I'm keen to oh, do my a gosh. bit of a well, deep dive.
0: We give you just the gist, but if you do want to know more, oh, the best resource about Charles Manson is the Charles Manson series that Karina Longworth does on her podcast, You Must Remember This. Mm-hmm. Um, she has, I think it's about a 12 or 13 part series on Charles Manson in which like she just goes into detail about just the context of the 60s at the time into just all down all the little rabbit holes that when you're not doing just the gist, you can go down. So that is the most amazing podcast series. There's also a book called Helter Skelter, which was written by um, the prosecutor who prosecuted Charles Manson, which is probably the most famous book about him. That's the book I read when I was 20 that got me like a bit obsessed with true crime, I think really mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah, so those are the two main best resources, Mm -hmm. I would say, Mm -hmm. if you want to go find out some more stuff about how messed up it is.
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm unsettled by Mm. this story. It's it's
0: There's a lot more to it than people know. I mean, I think the most shocking thing when I bring it up with people is that he was so close to the Beach Boys to the point where one of his songs is on one of their albums.
1: So we can go listen to that right now.
0: Yeah, 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 you can listen to it. Yeah. Is it bad? Uh, I mean, it's just a. I don't know. It was good enough that they put it on their album. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, apparently they changed a lot of it.
1: So I bet. yeah,
0: it, he wrote the lyrics and kind of Dennis Wilson was throwing him a bone, and he's like, yeah, okay, we'll use it. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: that is wild, and all it's just nuts. because he wanted to be a rock star.
0: It's nuts. Mm. I know. He just wanted to be a rock star.
1: Crazy. He just
0: wanted to be famous, thought he was owed it. And when a narcissist doesn't get what they think they're owed, mm, bad things happen.
1: Yeah. It's a shame that people continued to pay so much attention to him throughout the rest of his life. Mm. And it would feel to him like what he did paid off in the end because he got the fame and the attention that he'd been craving. They should have just hid him in the shadows and not fed him any of that attention that he desired so much.
0: Mm, it's true. That would be the ultimate punishment for him. I mean, it's hard. A lot of people say that, you know, we shouldn't refer to them as the Manson murders. We should refer to them as the Tate-LaBianca murders, which I do agree with, but it, it's at a point, and it's what we do today now, you know, when there's mass shootings and stuff, we everybody decides not to say the shooter's name, not to say the criminal's name, but it just, it was just so infamous at the time that I think it's that, Label has just kind of stuck with it. Yep. But, yes, a lot of people do say it, just call it the Tate LaBianca murders and Mm. just don't even. But, yeah, that's what happened.
1: Well, thanks so much for the nightmares I'm going to be having tonight.
0: Uh, You're so welcome. Squeaky Frome apparently lives in a house covered in skulls with her boyfriend somewhere in the US.
1: Gross. Yeah. Mm. Don't like. So that's that. I mean,
0: I avoided doing this one for a while because I was like, oh, everyone knows about it. But there is a lot of stuff that I detail that I think people don't realise.
1: Oh, I didn't know 95% of that. Yeah. Mm.
0: Oh, and everyone should watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is the Quentin Tarantino movie that came out a couple years ago. Mm. And it, um, I don't know, how do you describe it without giving away the twist?
1: Well, it just reimagines what happened in the Polanski house that night.
0: Yeah. And... It reimagines it in a way that um, works out better for everyone.
1: Mm. Much happier ending, yes.
0: (laughs) Much happier ending, and it's a really cool movie to watch Mm. when you've been researching because it's kind of like, I think it's what everyone wishes would have happened. Yeah,
1: It's just as gruesome, but um, with a happier ending. Just as
0: gruesome, but on the bad people, not on
1: the good people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so that's that. That was just just quite a long one, but I mean... You know, we haven't recorded like this in a while, so it's nice to have a nice long one.
1: Oh, we like the meaty ones. Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, uh, next week.
1: Till next time. Your turn. Yeehaw. Bye. 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 Listener.